Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. Right now, we're focusing on my house is your house. I'm going to do a quick recap, and then we're going to really jump into this. But for those of you who maybe have thought to yourself about the whole understanding of Christian hospitality, that you don't feel qualified or you don't feel like that's you, you know, I'm not going to say put your hand up, but I'll put my hand up because I'm not naturally a hospitable person. I know that might shock you. You're like, well, you're a pastor. You should be hospitable. I know that, but I had to learn it. Well, it didn't come naturally to me. And we discussed last week, is the gift of hospitality, my house, your house, Christian hospitality, which is far greater than can you, you know, work it well in the kitchen, is it a spiritual gift or a scriptural mandate? And, and we talked and taught about the fact that it's both. Some people have a spiritual gift to be hospitable. And that we all know who those people are in our life. We celebrate them. We love them. And we, we try to figure out how they do that without getting frustrated. But we also look at Scripture. And we looked at what, uh, what Paul wrote in Romans 12, 9. He says this, Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly, sisterly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Verse 11, he goes on to say, Do not be slothful in your zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show uh, hospitality. Seek to show hospitality. Now, we focused in on this because the Greek word that Paul actually uses this in here when he writes it is philozenia, which is philos meaning affection and xenos meaning stranger. Seek to show stranger affections. Seek to put yourself outside your comfort zone as a believer to allow somebody to experience Jesus in a hospitable way, in your action, in the way you love on them, how you open up your life to them. Our faith, when we spoke about this a few series ago, was never to be hidden. You know, that concept that, you know, the moment you make faith religious, you can hide it. Do all you want with your religion. Hide it. I encourage you, hide your religion. But in regards to your faith and relationship with Jesus, then you're actually meant to to tell people about it. You're meant to share that, not just in word, but in practice. You're meant to align your life with what you're preaching. And we do this through Scripture. We do this through the Holy Spirit sanctifying us, leading us, developing in us the characters of Christ. The more uh, more like Jesus we are, the more usable we are for the kingdom. You go, well... I have raw talent in hospitality. We talked about the fact that even if you have raw talent, you still got to work at it. Even if you're spiritually gifted, you still got to work at it. And for the rest of us, if we're not gifted, we still have a mandate to discipline ourselves in these things. There's things in our lives, there's, there's callings on our life, and I'll be really honest with you, that is way outside your comfort zone, and more importantly, might not even be in your skill zone right now. You actually have to pursue that skill because God's called you to do that. As a young person, watching somebody play the drums or a musician or someone phenomenal at what they're doing, who was excellent, who was, who was skilled in it, inspired me. Just like whatever you're doing right now, somebody at some point inspired you through the fact that they were skilled in what they were doing. Now, they're skilled in it not simply because they were, had raw talent, but they put the time in it. They put the effort. You know, I remember doing... Uh, I used to play tennis quite a lot as a young person. I'm still young, but you know what I mean. Um, and my coach used to say to me, and it's so true, and, I, and I'm hearing it more, uh, you know, said more and more these days, practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes permanent. 
right? So you can practice the wrong thing over and over again, and all you're doing is making it permanent in your life. And so if I was to take the things of God and practice it over and over again, I'm going to make perfect or permanent the things of God in my life. Right, But he does the perfecting part. But if I go about in these unhealthy habits or pursuing things that I like to do, not necessarily what's called uh, on my life to do, I'm going to make permanent things in my life that I wasn't meant to make permanent. And so we're going to talk today, you know, we're going we're gonna to head straight. We only actually talked on the first two verses of Mark 2, verse 1 to 12. I'm going to read it again. And, you know, first part was the first two verses. The second part is all the rest. I know, it's uneven. But that's how it is. I, I couldn't try to make it like The Hobbit and just spread it out over three movies when I shouldn't have. But anyway. Just spitting truth today. Let me read it for you. Mark 2, verse 1, it says this. After some time, Jesus went back to the city of Capernaum. The news got around that he was home. So many people gathered there. There was no more room, not even at the door. He spoke the word of God to them. Four men came to Jesus carrying a man who could not move his body. These men could not get near Jesus because of so many people. They made a hole in the roof of the house over where Jesus stood. Then they let the bed down with the sick man on it. Verse 5 says this, When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the sick man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Some teachers of the law were sitting there, the Pharisees. They thought to themselves, why does this man talk like this? He is speaking as if he is God. Who can forgive sins? Only one can forgive sins, and that is God. Verse 8 says this, At once Jesus knew the teachers of the law were thinking this. He said to them, Why do you think this in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the sick man, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your bed, and start to walk. I'm doing this so you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the sick man who cannot move, the body, move his body, I say to you, get up, take your bed, go home. At once, the sick man got up, took his bed, went home. Everybody saw him. They were all surprised and wondered about it. They thanked God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Last week, we talked really briefly on the fact that Jesus had come home from being out in the desert. Capernaum was his new home. He might have been, probably was a little bit tired from doing ministry for so long. But even though he was at home, people still gathered and he showed compassion and he ministered to them. And he didn't speak about sports or politics or religion. He spoke the word of God to them. He filled them with the word of God. And we, we, we discuss the concept as believers, we've got to live our life, not if we're just, oh, I'm so tired and I want to shut people off. We don't have that privilege. We don't have the privilege to shut people off as believers. We have a responsibility to meet the needs. He says, so often the Bible says that Jesus showed compassion because he saw the people. He had compassion on them because they were sheep without a shepherd. And then we look at we look at Peter when he's being re uh, you know having his 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 redemption moment with Jesus around the fireplace after Jesus' resurrection. He says, "Do you love me?" He says, "Of course I do." He says, "What does he say?" He says, "Feed my sheep." We don't have the opportunity or the privilege to shut people off, and neither did Jesus. He doesn't. He allows them into his home, even though he's tired, even though he's wanting probably time alone, a little bit of rest. Who's been there before? You know that one friend who's like, man, can I come over? And it's not really asking because they're already at your front door. They're just calling. 
And you're like, oh man, I'm tired. We don't get the opportunity to shut them out. Christian hospitality, and we read about this, you know, when Paul talks about it and, and St. Benedict spoke about this as he reflects on the tradition of Christian hospitality, it's actually our servitude to Jesus. It's people allowing to lay claim to the hospitality of Jesus in our life. So when we say less of me and more of Jesus, we can't just say that and then not allow people in. Because now we're becoming the traitors of who has access to salvation, to freedom, to redemption. And all of a sudden, who made you gatekeeper to peace and mercy and grace and love eternal? Ain't nobody made you gatekeeper. Your job was to make sure as many people got to the banquet as possible. So let's discuss a few things that take place here. We did verse 1 and verse 2 last week. But verse 3 says this. Four men came to Jesus carrying a man who could not move his body. My first point I want to discuss today is the presence of God over our preference. The presence of God versus the preference of us. I say that because I know in my own life there's been moments where I have not really wanted to interact with that person. Do you know what I'm talking about? Those people in our lives or those people that step into our lives and we're like, I don't want to spend time with you. Well, you think about this. Four men came to Jesus carrying a dude that couldn't move. We look, we look at this through Jesus, right? And we're like, of course they did because Jesus was the son of God and they were looking for healing. But how many times has somebody come into your life that represents an inconvenience, represents something that you're like, man, you can't even do anything. You can't even move. You have no motivation. You have no get up and go. We don't look at what's crippling them. We're just looking at their current you know, image that we see in front of us. And we're like, man, I don't want anything really to do with you right now because you're a bit of a buzzkill. Everyone's come to party and you can't even move. And his friends bring him. Right? Church is notorious for this. Where like like a group of people rock up to a church for the first time and there's like four of them that are pumped, but one of them's like, "Mm." (laughs) right? And the four that are pumped get connected really well, but the one that's a little bit down or maybe carrying something or maybe going through something we can't see struggles to connect. Yeah, and we, we, we as a church, we do really well at making sure that we don't just engage with those that are like, oh, I'm here, I'm having a great time, but we engage with every person that comes to the front door. Why? Because our house is their house, my house is your house. It's a culture that we want here. It's a culture that Pastor Emma and I do our best to protect. You can ask the core team here. We're constantly reflecting on this. What are we doing to make sure we steward very well in love through Christ every person that comes to the door, no matter if they're crippled or not? But in saying that, often, and I've seen this through many churches that I've got to serve and be a part of, and this is not a blight against those churches. I get how this happens. But what what takes place is that we allocate one or two people that are really good at engaging with those sadder folk or the fringe, and the rest of us, you know, we're called to everyone else. But Jesus took particular interest with people everyone else was disinterested in which tells me Christian hospitality requires us not just to engage with what we want, our preference, 
but to allow the presence of God in and through us to engage those who have come to encounter redemption, healing, find hope maybe. And just because their initial appearance to us seems a little bit down or a little bit you know, antisocial or maybe they just completely hostile, just because of that, we don't have the right to disengage. His presence, not our preference. People have come for his presence. You call, you know, like, God, I want you in my life. Oh, Holy Spirit, anoint me, send me. And then someone comes, you're like, not that person. Next. You know, I'll take door number two. First Samuel chapter 16, 6 to 7. If you have your Bibles, read along. It says this. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. This is a moment in history where Samuel is actually anointing a new king because Saul got it wrong. Verse 7 says this, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider the appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Hey, isn't this an interest? We talk about this. We serve the the God that looks on the inside, not the outside. And what's taking place here is the appointment of a king. And Samuel, who probably represents a lot of us in this moment, he is encountered by Eliab. And Eliab is one of David's brothers. And this dude is jacked. This guy's like the perfect G.I. Joe action figure. And, And Samuel's like, this is the guy. This is the cobra that's going to take over the kingdom. He's going to like be awesome. This dude is lit. And, and, and God says, no, not that guy. I've rejected him. And, and we get the picture that I'm painting here. We get the pictures. But what I find interesting is that, that God is appointing a king. Who are we to know who God has appointed to make a massive difference in this city? Isn't it funny that we think we get to pick through our hospitality who's going to be king, who's going to make a difference. But God says, hey, I'm not looking at the outward exterior. I'm looking at the heart and our job as believers to welcome all in. Everyone has a calling. I get that. But at the end of the day, we're treating people with who and where and what they're going to be doing based on our hospitality. It's my house, it's your house, but you're not allowed in that room, but you can go to that room because you're cool. You look like you fit there, so you go there. Brother, do you mind just staying at the front door a little bit? Nah, straight out the back. No one needs to see you when they come. Like, like Samuel is us, and he's appointing a king. I want you to know right now, each and every person that walks through this door, the Bible says, is a son and a daughter of God. They have the ability to be king through Christ. Like they have an inheritance. Our job is to realize that we get to not appoint them, but to bring them into the presence of the King of Kings who's calling them out of darkness. We don't have to, we don't have to read their heart. That's not our job. All we've got to do is keep our heart right. Their heart's not our problem. Our heart is our problem. I look at this when we see Luke write in chapter 14, verse 12 to 14. He says this, Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, your sisters, your relatives, or the rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. 
Jesus himself says, hey, stop having a party in your own little circle. Stop having celebrations and patting each other on the back. I'll have a party this week. You'll have a party next week. Old bloke will have the party the following week later. Maybe we won't all go, but it'll be fun anyway. He's saying stop with your clicks because your clicks, you just repay each other. How about you show hospitality to people that maybe never get invited to a banquet knowing you'll never get repaid on this side of eternity, but it'll be accounted to you in resurrection. Oh, come on. If that doesn't stir you as a believer, start. we talked about our great hope as believers is that we're being resurrected. But furthermore, we're a part of the process of remaking heaven and earth. And so when we begin to show how the kingdom of God works, we begin to store up these treasures in heaven, these treasures in resurrection, this righteousness that's going to be bestowed upon us through our actions here and now. Invite the poor, the cripple, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. You will be blessed. As a church, can I tell you right now, each and every one of you, your hospitality towards others is either going to bless you or rob you. Because he doesn't say you're going to be blessed if you just hang out with your clique. He says you've got to get out of your comfort zone. You've got to stop judging people from the outward appearance. Stop making a preference and start making it about the presence of God that you, you declare to be in your life and start to make a difference. Ask crippled people to come into your life. Ask the lame to come into your life. Ask those that are so desperately looking for vision, the blind, to come into your life because you will be blessed. But furthermore, they're going to encounter something they've never encountered before because no one's ever believed in them or the value in them or the worth in them but God commands us Jesus says to us you're to see value the way I see value and it's not the outward exterior it's the heart that gets me excited I don't know if that gets you excited we read in Matthew 25 verse 31 to 39 it's long today is all about scripture hope you have your Bibles your note taking if not you can keep reading later on on YouTube but here we go When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. He will put the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. What an image. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And the righteous answered him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink. When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did you see when did we see you sick and in prison and go visit you? This is the question they ask him. And he answers them, Hey, what you do to the least of these, you do unto me. What you do to people in this side of eternity, those that need me the most, what you do to those people. You're doing under me. They get to lay claim to our hospitality. You know, the, the Bible says that the ones that were on the left, the ones that had not been righteous, the unrighteous, ask him the same question and they give him the same answer. That same thing. What you do to others, you do under Christ. 
We don't get a preference. Hey, but it's a good thing, right? Because if this world, the kingdom of God that we are part of was preference-based, most of us wouldn't be here. We are not here because of the preference of another person. We're here because the presence of God invaded our life through the hospitality of another person. My house is your house is a serious topic. I know it sounds really lovely and the graphic makes it look really fun with chimneys everywhere. But at the end of the day, it's a serious topic for Christians. We've got to stop living in our bubble. We've got to stop thinking inadvertently or through ignorance or a lack of trying or the fact that we're undisciplined or we completely take no initiative. You're not here on earth to do whatever your major occupation is. This might just blow your mind. You're here on earth to be a witness to Christ, the witness of Christ, sorry, to the people you're working with. Disciple first and whatever next. Yeah, do you, do you get this? This has to be in your spirit as a believer. Those watching in online, it has to be a, a, a reality in your life. You've got to be intentional about this. If you're not intentional, then you're really not trying. If you do, honestly, if we do our life and just meander through it like a tumbleweed blowed here or there and get to heaven. I'm not saying that you're not going to you know, get into heaven. What I am saying is, is that when we get there, we're going to be judged upon our deeds as Christians. You know, often we think, oh man, I said yes to Jesus, so my afterlife insurance plan was all good. I'm going to get to heaven and it's great. Rick Warren says this in A Purpose Driven Life, and it's a great quote, and it got me thinking as a young man. He says, I don't believe when I get into heaven or when we get into heaven, we're going to be judged on what we did and got wrong. He says, I believe we're going to be judged on what we were asked to do and never did. Isn't it like a different turn on things all of a sudden? Because we're so focused on what did I do right and what I did wrong. But really, when I look at Christian hospitality, it demands us to go, what have I been asked to do and am I doing it? Because when I read what I've been asked to do, it's far more about others than it is about myself. It's far more about Jesus than it is about my occupation. I'm a disciple first. And in that, when I declare and bear witness to the goodness of Jesus on this side of eternity, I am making way for others to have the same outcome in their life leads me to my next point i honestly believe as christians we are called to be open roof living individuals what i mean by this is when we read in verse 4 these men could not get near to jesus because so many people around they made a hole in the roof of the house over jesus and they lowered the man down if you have jesus inside of you if you are living that faith-filled presence of God life, if you're making a difference, people are paying attention. Christians are different. There's something about us. There's something about you, the way you approach life, the way that your joy is not found in temporary happiness or the circumstance that you find yourself in, the fact that our joy is found in the goodness of Jesus, that even though we, we like every other individual, will suffer sorrow because of Christ, the greater sorrow we suffer, the greater understanding and joy we have in this world. He just turns that dynamic on its head and, and people look at us and because of consistent living in our faith, they will turn to us. Do not get surprised when somebody wants to talk to you about or someone wants to be in your presence or they want to be in your home. You offer something different. You offer that you're giving them a glimpse of a life in Jesus. The Bible says there's nothing more attractive than that. Now, they might not comprehend all the theology and your doctrinal stances and all of that. They don't care. What they're looking at 
Is your love for them, your hospitality towards them, is it genuine? Is it authentic? Does it come from a place of love? Because everything else can be worked out from the point of authenticity. We spoke last week that one of the hardest things for non-believers to get around is the hypocrisy so often found in church or in a believer's life. Now, I'm not saying that we're all going to be perfect and you're not going to be a hypocrite at some point. I get that. I've been a hypocrite. I've got it wrong. I understand that. We just can't remain there. We can't actively choose to preach one thing but live another. This is a bad dynamic. It's something that the church has been held accountable for more than anything else. And we don't have to live in that misconception. We discuss the fact that the church is more afraid of the world than the world is afraid of us. The narrative of us having to prove something through perfect living is wrong. I don't have to prove it. I don't have to have the perfect package. I've just got to be trying to achieve more in Jesus. I've just got to be going from strength to strength by grace to grace. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. My wife is the closest thing to perfection. Can't blame a man for trying. I'm just saying. That was such a stateswoman nod, Emma. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's going to be my thing for the next week because I've got a short memory. But if you meet me in the street, I'll be like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Hi, how's your day, Pastor? Mm-hmm. I want to live a life that people are trying to get into my life. They're going to tear a hole in whatever they need to, to lower whatever they need, whatever mess into my life, because they know in my life is something that can help. In my life, if my, my life is this house and Jesus is living in this house, they should be tearing a hole in the top of the roof to get whatever they need in that needs healing, that needs protection, that needs a safe place to be worked through. This should be our life. We should be open roof living believers. Don't get upset when you have such a perfect saviour inside of you and people want a piece of the action, right? This is all that's taking place here. Jesus is in the house. That's why we tell, you know, when you invite someone to church, please don't, don't think you're inviting them to warm a seat. Really, what we're asking you to do is at the very least, if you invite them to church, you invite them to a moment in heaven. Because the Bible says where the presence of God is, when we worship, that the angels join in with us. Because heaven is not a distant future destination, but a present reality that the church gets to transcend in our worship, in our action, in our belief. When we invite them here, we're inviting them to encounter the Father that created us all, those that want to encounter the Father through Jesus, through the presence of the Holy Spirit. We get that opportunity here on every Sunday or Saturday or whatever time we're here, and we take it for granted. But in the invitation, it allows us, one, to remember that it doesn't matter about the person's qualifications. It matters who we're asking them to encounter. It's that my house is your, I want you here. In Matthew 5, 14, 16, it says, You are the light of the world. The town, sorry, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Oh, man. We always, we've said this from the start. You know, we're about to celebrate two years. I want Avant Life Church, if we had to have an illustration of what, what type of community we are, I want us to be that if we were to shrink it down just to a few people. 
that cabin on the side of the mountain in the middle of a, a blizzard at winter time, and somebody who's ill-equipped for the, the winter weather is trying to find some place, and they stumble upon Avant Life Cabin. And inside there is a family, there's a warm fireplace, there's a meal, they're playing board games, they're encouraging each other, enjoying each other's company. And in that image right there, that illustration, would that person on the outside want to join or would they want to remain on the outside? Just that simple, like, can we have a church, no matter how big we get, no matter how far we spread, that every time someone encounters us, they encounter us as if they're stuck in some sort of blizzard in life, and we offer them that refuge, we offer them that family, we offer them that food, that warmth, that meaning. It doesn't mean everything they bring in is going to all of a sudden disappear. It just means there's a safe place that they can mend They can be restored. They can discover what God has placed on their life, all because of what? Christian hospitality. Let your light shine. Just like a lighthouse or just like a city on the hill, when that light shines, it attracts people. It attracts things. It guides things. It tells people there's something living there. There's something alive We really want to give some time to worship after this because my hope is this, for those of you present and those of you online, that this wouldn't just be a nice message that tickled your ear or stirred you a little bit, but you would begin to live this, my house is your house. There'd be a desperation in your invitation. You'd begin, oh, come on, man, I'm going to hassle you until you come over and hang out with me for a bit, or you come to my life group, or you at least come to church on a Sunday, or I bring you to the coffee shop and we spend some time together. Because we're not making it about our preference. We're allowing people to encounter the presence of God. You, you carry the presence of God wherever you go. You encounter in your obedience, in your worship, in your language, in the way you treat others, your, your deed and action. We're those vessels that bring Jesus to all four corners of the earth. And so my last point is this before we go back into worship. And I really do believe God wants to do a bit of surgery tonight. That Jesus heals and Jesus forgives. The Bible says in verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the sick man, son, your sins are forgiven. Some teachers of the law were sitting there and they thought to themselves, why does this man talk like this? He is speaking as if he is God. Who can forgive sins? Only one can. And that is God. At once Jesus knew the teachers of the law were thinking this and he said to them, why do you think this in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the sick man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your bed and start to walk. I'm going to do this so that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the sick man who could not move his body, I say to you, get up, take your bed and go home. At once the sick man got up, took his bed and went away. Everybody saw him and they were all surprised and wondered about it. And they thanked God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Jesus heals Jesus forgives. We almost come full circle with this point because, you know, I look at this and we read and we, we, we see the Pharisees and, and for the most part, because of Jesus, we've been set free from our legalism that the Pharisees exhibit or the, the Pharisees project for us to understand. And, and as much as we give them a hard time or in our own minds when we read it, maybe it's just me, but we're sort of like, man, never want to be a Pharisee. 
It's one of those words. It's up there with pagan. It's just uh, like if you call someone that, it's an insult. Now, I don't know why, because at some point we're all of these things. But when I look at this, I actually see moments in the church that look just like this. Like when that person who doesn't judge people by appearance or how they smell or, or maybe the way they talk or their background, be it racially, their ethnic background, where they're from in the city. They don't, they don't look at that, that what's put in front of them. They don't see that. We've, we have those people, right? You've seen it. And they allow those people into their lives where we've been hesitant. They show no hesitation. They just open door Christianity, open roof Christianity. My house is your house. Come in. I don't care where you've come from. Come as you are, just like Jesus said, right? And then we begin to see something happen in that person's life. Not the Christian who welcomed him in, but the person that was the outcast. We begin to see God do something. And instead of going, wow, I could learn from this. We say, how could that even happen? Right? Well, that's unconventional. They didn't do A, B, C, or D. What? That's not, something's wrong there. But really what we're confronted with is the same heart the Pharisees had. And that is, wait, Jesus can heal? Jesus is doing the work? But I thought, I thought only God could do that. I thought only people who ticked all the boxes and had the perfect package could receive healing. I thought the people that dressed like they knew what the fashion was for church for this week could be a leader and make a difference in this world. I thought that only those who understood every aspect of doctrinal and theological teaching could be used on that capacity. And we begin to judge others who don't make it about themselves, but simply open their lives up and said, I accept you as you are. Come and experience the presence of Jesus. Lower yourself into my life so that Jesus, not me, can heal you. Jesus, not me, can begin to forgive and deal with you in a healthy way and begin to give you hope where you didn't have hope and give you sight when you didn't have sight. It's not about the work I do. It's about the work that Jesus does. Come into my life. Come. Be a part of this. Oh man, I want to be a church that doesn't look on the outward exterior. God is going to send us as a church into cities that don't look like North Vancouver. The people don't talk like us. They don't value the same things we value. They might not have experienced what we've experienced. Probably haven't. God is going to call us as a church to places that are uncomfortable, that are stranger to us. And he's going to say, can you show affection there? Can you put aside your preference and persevere for my presence? Would you allow someone to come to the banquet that not you put on, but God put on? Would you stop being a gatekeeper and be an invitation giver? Would you go out to every house, knock on every door, go to every street corner to find anyone who would listen and accept the invitation? 
as a church, it starts with us. Those of you who are online as a church, it starts with you. It starts with us all coming together in a spirit of going, my house is your house. My faith can be your faith. My hope is hopefully your hope in time. But more importantly, my King, my Jesus can be your King, your Jesus. My house is your house. My faith can be your faith. My hope can be your hope. My King, my Jesus can be your King. It should be a part of every waking moment. We talked about it at the cash register. It doesn't matter how awkward it gets. When you're pumping gas and the person next to you is looking at you, you've been there before, right? Like they're just opposite you and you're just like... Like that's normal, hey? When you go to get the best bread in the world from Cobbs, talk to the baker, talk to the ladies or the gentlemen there, do something. Begin to make space in your life so that faith could begin to allow the invitation to take place. Create that space. That's what we say here. It's what we live and breathe. Create space for faith. Join the journey. These aren't just nice sayings. This is a desperate call into your heart to make a difference. You are more than just whatever your occupation is. You're more than just someone's son or someone's daughter. You're more than just a father or a mother, a sister or a brother. Your greatest call is a disciple of Jesus Christ. Resurrected King, authority here on heaven and earth. In His name, everything bows its knees. Can I, can, can I get you to stand right now? And those of you at home, begin to prepare your heart as we go back into worship doesn't matter what we're singing. Whatever we sing is going to give God glory. But right now, would you prepare your heart? Would you begin to say, well, God, let's start here. My heart is now your heart. My hopes are now found in you. My dreams are now your dreams. My desires are now your desires. My hopes are found in you. As we begin to allow the Holy Spirit in this moment, no matter where you are, where you're watching, as we begin to give Him preference, as we begin to give Him authority and sovereignty. Watch as whatever you're carrying, and I don't know what it is, whatever you're carrying, whatever's blinded you, whatever's hindered you, maybe it's hurt, maybe it's a misguided bitterness, maybe it's a misconception, maybe you just need a bit of Jesus to fall on you right now so that you realise and are reminded that you are valued, that you are loved, that, you are, that your value is so much that the King of Heaven would step down from His throne, take on man's bone and flesh so that He could pay a ransom for your life. Maybe that's you right now. You just need that moment. Whatever it is, the Holy Spirit is here. The great physician is about to do a work on each and every one of us. And those of us who are open, those of us who are ready to lay down. Do you know when you have a surgery done, more often than not, you've got to lay down. Right? I know there's exceptions to that. But right now, we're going to lay things down so the Holy Spirit can do a bit of heavenly work on our life. Church, you ready? Those of you following online, don't just go get some Doritos right now. It's your moment too. Come on. We hope you enjoyed this message. We would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast. Other ways you can connect with Avant Life is through YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Or check out our website at avantlifechurch.com.